This is Shlomo Swidler, CEO of Orchestratus, on Wednesday, April 23rd, 2014. Hi, this is Shlomo Swidler. Welcome to the OpenStack Israel podcast. My guest today is Ken Peppel, CTO and co-founder of Solinia and author of the O'Reilly book, Deploying OpenStack. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thanks, Loma. So what's Selenia? Uh, Selenia is a, a software and services company that concentrates on open infrastructure. And so we work with customers specifically around OpenStack and some of the other cloud infrastructure to help them adopt that infrastructure into their enterprise. And is it specifically OpenStack or do you recommend other solutions when necessary? Certainly. A lot of our customers are looking really to be able to do something higher in the stack, um, something closer to their business needs. So a lot of our customers come to us actually looking for, I want to be able to do some kind of big data. I want to be able to bring applications to market more quickly. Or even I'd like to be able to do some kind of virtual desktop. And it just happens that probably some kind of cloud infrastructure, and that's usually OpenStack, is the right way to, to base that solution on. So I'm going to ask you a question that might not be fair to ask you. How much of what you're seeing asked for can be done with OpenStack versus with other competing solutions? You know, so I think that's an interesting question. A lot of the solutions which are out there at the infrastructure as a service level, and I'm specifically talking about OpenStack and CloudStack, vCloud, and probably Eucalyptus are, are kind of the four that are out there. A lot of them can handle most of it. So, for example, when you talk about big data, you really need to be able to have, obviously, the compute side of it, but a lot of big data is really around block storage and, and actually object storage also, mm-hmm. as well as some networking. And almost everybody has that um, within their, their infrastructure as a service solution. What most of them don't have is the variety of solutions that are available there. And so, specifically, like when you talk about big data, that's really about what kind of block storage can I bring to bear to the solution? And sometimes that you need massive amounts of it that's not very fast. Other times you need extremely fast. And that's where you know the larger ecosystem of OpenStack um, really shines in, in providing those. So it's not so much that they couldn't do them. They might not be able to do them as well, though. So I've heard it said that CloudStack may have more functional production deployments in the wild but OpenStack has the lion's share of the ecosystem integrations. Would you say that's true? I would say that's probably true. You know, when you look at CloudStack's uh, deployments that are out there, it's really been picked up by a lot of what I call your tier three service providers. Um, You know, they're not the tier one service providers like a CSC or something like that that's, that's huge or an IBM Global Services. They're not even a tier two one, but a lot of the smaller tier three ones, um, which need pretty limited functionality, they're really providing something not much more than a virtual private server. A lot of them have picked it up. And with you know, CloudStack's limited functionality, um, that's probably a great thing for them. I think when you start looking at a tier two or a tier three provider though, the stuff that CloudStack provides you, which is really the basic compute, block storage, and networking, you know, those are really hard to make money on uh, when you, you know, you're competing against an Amazon Web Services at 10 cents an hour. You really need to be able to have differentiated services 
um, that can compete against the other Amazon web services where you can make money on and it's not just a game of scale and that's where I think CloudStack may fall down and that's why I think where you see most of the larger providers out there the rack spaces of the world and such that's why they they've embraced OpenStack and so in terms of CloudStack versus OpenStack if I could paraphrase you I would say that CloudStack has some successful deployments but because it does not have the giant ecosystem behind it, it's falling behind in terms of higher level offerings that its customers can use to compete successfully against the major players. Yeah, I think that'd be a fair assessment in the service provider market. Let's take a look back at, at OpenStack for just a minute and, and uh, who it appeals to. Up until Icehouse, which was just released, certain kinds of customers were looking for uh, certain kinds of use cases and OpenStack appealed to these guys. What kind of customer was attracted to OpenStack until now? So I think you saw two or three different waves of users come onto OpenStack. So in the very early days, it was really service providers. And you know, if you were a service provider, not if you were, if you are a service provider, you know, you're kind of having a near-death experience where you're seeing, you know, basically a book provider as well as a search provider all of a sudden become your largest competitors. And mm -hmm. that's worrisome because they have scores and scores of software developers uh, competing against yourself, which tends to be an operator. So early on, it was really service providers looking to be able to differentiate themselves and provide cloud services. I think as we moved into, say, the last year and a half, it's been a lot of people who, who really base their business on computing that have been uh, adopting OpenStack. And so that's really been SaaS providers. And, you know, it's been people like Workday and some other people out there that their whole business runs on computing and they need a real flexible compute layer to do that. <laughs> Today, as we start to move forward, though, I think we're going to start seeing a new class of customer. And even over the last six months to a year of the customers we worked with, we've started to actually see the enterprise pick this up for specific use cases that are out there. And you're saying that these new Icehouse features will now increase the appeal to enterprise customers? Yeah. And so a lot of the Icehouse features that you, you see that came out were really evolutions. They're not completely new features. It's really we've taken some of the sharp edges away uh, from more problematic pieces, and we really make them more operational features for you, things that help you actually operate it better to a higher quality which is really what a lot of the enterprise is looking for. Give me an example of something that's made easier uh, in terms of operations in Icehouse. So, you know, for example, one of the new services in Icehouse is called Trove. Uh, Trove gives you a database as a service. So with Trove, I can actually roll out uh, instances of MySQL or other databases, and I can actually manage those through Trove, being able to resize it, back it up, and things like that. As you know, in the enterprise, every application is back with some kind of database there and they have entire departments which do nothing but DBA work. This will help simplify some of that and really helps you operate your cloud instead of having to you know manage each database as a bespoke instance on top of uh, an instance that's already on the cloud. This is going to help you simplify some of that. Hmm. In addition, some of the other features that we've added in, especially around the dashboard, making it much easier to use and more interactive, um, adding translations in, doing some of the new hypervisor work that supports some more interesting ways to use the scheduler. All of these features 
help satisfy some of the, the quality of service that enterprises really need. A lot of these new improvements to the operational side are sanding down the corners that have up until now been rough edges. Correct. What makes you most excited about Icehouse? You know, so I think the things that, that I'm interested in Icehouse is we've finally got a lot of the core to be very stable. And a lot of the services and some of the new innovation that we're starting to see is really building on top of that to provide another layer or another level of both automation and value to the customer. The, the Trove database as a service that I talked about before is a great example of that. It's fixing a real need that the uh, enterprise has, but it's building on top of what we already have. So for example, when it rolls out a database, that's an instance in OpenStack Compute. It's using storage from OpenStack Cinder, and some of it's actually being orchestrated for you through some of the other OpenStack tools. Mm -hmm. And so once we've had this solid core, the ability to build on top of that, I think is extremely interesting, especially because it actually solves closer and closer to either IT or business problems. You mentioned before that you're seeing a lot of customers ask for uh, higher level solutions to answer provisioning problems or virtual desktop problems or big data problems. What kind of uh, integration do you see going on between, for example, the Hadoop ecosystem and OpenStack code? Yeah. So today, a lot of it's being done at kind of a solution level. I think when you look at Hortonworks and Cloudera, probably the two dominant uh, distributions out there, they're doing a fair amount of work working with distros. Uh, in the OpenStack community to make sure that at least they play well together today mm -hmm. and at least we can put together some kind of solution around that. And so I'm interested at certainly that level uh, of being able to provide the solutions together, but actually they're actually contributing even more towards what we call an incubating project within OpenStack. We had a project that used to be called Savannah, which is now called Sahara. Uh, it's an incubating project, which means it's not ready to be integrated into production yet, but we hope to have it integrated into production within the next two or three releases. And it's actually going to give you big data as a service. So something much closer to what AWS's Elastic MapReduce provides, mm -hmm. where we'll actually be able to provide Hadoop data processing as a service instead of having to do it just as a solution and putting that solution together yourself. So I like it working on two fronts, which is if you're already a Hortonworks or Cloudera person or using those distros today, people are making it easier and easier to run OpenStack underneath those solutions, but also building it in as a service so that for people that actually want to consume that as a service, they'll be able to do that also. And so I think that's extremely interesting, and that's really an outgrowth of having an extremely large and influential community. For OpenStack. So, for example, if you would talk to an audience that is interested in big data solutions, how much work would you say has to be done in order to provide a kind of a turnkey solution that they might be looking for with today's version of OpenStack? Well, so I think that's a, a timely question for us. So, one of our customers actually is doing that today. And so, we've just finished the pilot production for them. And over the last three months, we put together Cloudera. Um, along with their data scientists and ran that on top of a pilot OpenStack cloud. Today, you know, we spent somewhere around two to three months putting that pilot together. Most of that really wasn't open infrastructure work. Um, most of that was actually, we were doing quite a bit of testing on OpenStack itself um, and a variety of different scenarios so that they would know which scenario was best for them to go to production with. And we were doing a lot of porting work 
to make sure what kind of performance we would actually need to do that. And so over three months, we've gotten to a place where they actually have a solution that they're going to move forward with, hopefully, um, here in a month or two, and move to production. So I think today you're actually seeing that you know a lot of the pieces are in place today. Uh, there's a fair amount of testing and performance tuning and things that you need to be able to put together. Um, but it's something that's happening today and people are using today. I think over time that's going to become even easier. Um, but today it's already happening out there for people in the real world, in the enterprise, and you know going into production. Won't it always be true that we'll need to have a somewhat protracted period to discover the exact correct hardware and storage uh, configuration and networking configuration that is appropriate for my use case for my workload, won't we always need that and won't uh, any kind of out-of-the-box solution still require extensive customization and burning in? You know, so I think a lot of them will, uh, you know, for your more complicated enterprise ones, you know, even today, you know, if you're putting in an ERP release, you still, that's a, you know, that's a known problem. People have been putting those in for decades now. You still have months to be able to put that in, do the tuning and, and put all that together. So I still think a lot of that will still be will be necessary. But I think over time, you'll have a less number of variables to work with. So today, there's a large number of variables to work with. You know, even within networking or compute, especially within storage, there's many different options to work with. I think over time, those will lessen, and you'll get down to a few different options to work with. And then perhaps even when you see this as rolling out as a service as part of Sahara, there might even be you know, one or two reference architectures to do that to less than that amount of time. Hmm. However, having said that, you know, most customers in the enterprise, you know, doing two or three months to do a pilot, that's a fairly standard time for them to do any pilot. Um, so I don't think that's terribly uh, unnatural for many of them. So it will get easier, but proof of concepts and pilots will still be de rigueur. I think so. And that's no different from any other kind of uh, new infrastructure solution or any kind of solution that's being adopted. People need time to adjust to it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things today is, you know, part of that adjustment for a lot of the enterprises is just adjusting to cloud because they, you know, this may be the first time they really use cloud. Uh, for our customer that we're working with today, that's true. And so part of this has just been adjusting to cloud instead of their normal IT processes and enterprise uh, infrastructure. Over time, you know, they'll have more more experience with just generally with cloud, and, and so that may lessen the time also. So it's funny that you say that. You and I have worked together in the past. We're veterans of the cloud market and ecosystem. It might seem funny to us or maybe even to some of our listeners that there are companies who don't know what cloud is. How often do you see that? How prevalent is that perception that cloud is something new and it needs to be adjusted to? You know, I would say it's actually the norm. Um, you know, I think it's difficult living in tech centers like uh, Israel and, and Silicon Valley and, and New York and places like that to realize that, you know, in general, outside of those areas, use of the cloud is not extremely prevalent. Uh, we spend a lot of time with clients. Um, a lot of it's really education. They've certainly heard of the cloud. They may have used consumer cloud. Um, you know, Dropboxes or, or some of the Google services and things on that kind of SaaS level. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them don't understand what the implications of some of those decisions are lower in the stack around infrastructure as a service or even uh, platform as a service. 
And so we spend a lot of time around education about what those implications actually are and what those decision points are for them because it actually is a big change for a lot of them. What is your attitude? What is Selenia's uh, take on the ecosystem? Are you guys trying to build your own distro of OpenStack, or are you coming in and doing bespoke solutions for each customer separately? How, well, well, how is Selenia approaching this, and what do you think is the right way to do it? So in, in general, in the OpenStack uh, ecosystem today, I think there's more than enough distros, and I applaud their work that they've been, they've been doing to bring together what really is an open source framework and move that into a product. Um, and I think they've done some great work around some integration of the products together and hopefully getting across that installation hurdle. Um, and so in general, Selenia does, has no desire to go work with that. I think there's more than enough distros out there. We love what Red Hat's doing. We love what some of the other smaller startups are doing around that. And I think there's space for uh, more than a few of those distros um, out at service providers and enterprises. We really want to help customers adopt that. And so, you know, to us, that's two different things. One is helping them move into open infrastructure um, around being able to architect solutions for them, help them with their strategies, help them implement those kind of things. And so a lot of it's helping them adopt it. But the other half of that, though, is, you know, once you've adopted it, really being able to operate that and, and provide, you know, both value to IT and the business. And so we spend a lot of our time and a lot of our efforts really around that management or adoption phase that once you have this open infrastructure, how are you going to use it? How are you going to manage that? And that's really where we spend most of our time today. And in the future, we'll be spending more and more of our time on that. And that's where we think there's actually a fair amount of, I would say, space to be able to both provide services and products in that space to help people really manage that. So as far as you're concerned, the distros are making your job easier, but they're not making the end result for the client any closer. Well, I think they're, they're bringing them part of the way. Before, you used to have to, like, when I ran Internet Network Services Public Cloud, I had to go to source uh, and, you know, pull code out of the actual GitHub repositories, package it all, do all of that testing, create my own installation, all of that stuff, just to get to a place where I had a running cloud. I think, you know, the distros are doing a great job of packaging, installation, and such like that. So they're certainly doing, providing great value there. But one of the things I found was, you know, after the two to four weeks of installing, which were not fun, I still had a year or two of managing that infrastructure, which there weren't a lot of tools around, and there weren't a lot of people to go ask about how you do certain things. And that's really where we're focusing much more of our efforts around software development and consulting, which is how would you actually manage that infrastructure? How would you provide solutions on top of it so that you're providing you know, what the client or the enterprise really wants, which is big data or being able to roll out applications faster or to have more consistent desktops? One last question, Ken. If you were to talk to the Israeli audience uh, at the upcoming OpenStack Israel event, on June 2nd, knowing that it's after the summit in Georgia in late May, what message would you want to tell them? So, you know, I think there, there's two messages there, which is, uh, A, the OpenStack ecosystem is, is still a vibrant place, and there's a lot of areas there to innovate, um, and I think we can see a lot of places to innovate. I, I've just heard about, within the last week or two, of people doing really interesting low-latency OpenStack clouds um, out in Asia. And it's something completely different than what a lot of my clients are looking at. And so I see that there's a huge amount of innovation still happening there. 
and there's a huge opportunity to participate there. And so, you know, that's one of the messages that I, I think you're going to see loud and clear come out of the summit. The second part of it is, though, that OpenStack is really open for business for enterprises. And I think more and more people should be looking at how is OpenStack and private clouds going to fit into their overall computing strategy as they move forward. I, I don't doubt that, you know, customers in the enterprise will be using public clouds. And I, I absolutely think, you know, not only will they, they should. Um, but I think there's also a element there of you want to keep some of that computing infrastructure in-house for them. And so as they look forward, how does OpenStack fit into their enterprise architecture plans as part of a hybrid cloud? And what are the steps they're going to take to start adopting that infrastructure as they look forward to that strategy? All right, so you're throwing down the gauntlet on two challenges there. Number one, <laughs> innovate. Number two, if you're an enterprise, make plans to have OpenStack. I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, Israel being one of those places where you've got a lot of development going on and a lot of high tech, I think you certainly have both of those challenges. I agree. Ken, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been great talking with you again. Take care. Thanks.